Welcome to the Anchored by Faith podcast, a Reformed Baptist podcast where we hold to Scripture to be conformed to the image of God. My name is Colton Wright, and my co-host over here... Logan Batisti. And we are coming at you from... Well, it's, it's been a while. Why have we taken a break? I know it's definitely not intentional. Everybody understands how holidays are, but with holidays comes sickness. I got sick for a while... My wife got sick, and then my daughter also did. And no, we did not have COVID. <laughs> so nobody has to worry about that, luckily. Yeah, I, you guys got it. Like, I think you guys were the beginning of the wave because they, I don't know if you watched service mm-hmm. Sunday, Mm-mm. but everyone was sick. Oh, man. Yeah. You want to hear something really funny? What? So if Kyle ever listens to this, he's going to get a kick out of this. He had to sing. He was our worship leader. Oh, no. Yeah. We had four families out sick, and those four families were the worship. Well, uh, one wasn't out sick. They had prior engagements. Right. So they had left our lead worship leaders. The backups were sick. The third strings were sick, and the fourth string was sick. And so Kyle had to sing hymns. How does that even work? Like, all the strings be sick at the same time. That's why you have backups in the first place. Yeah, it was it was really funny. So, but you guys started the sickness. Like, of the you guys got in the the beginning end of it, right? And then, like, and that was back in Thanksgiving. Yeah, because we got sick like a week later in Remington, and Megan's sick. Her family had gotten sick before us. Yeah, and this stuff's still going. Like, yep. this stuff has not stopped. And I mean. We just didn't want to pass it to you guys because, yep. of course, Declan and you guys. and Yeah. It's just easier that way that we didn't. Now, nah, if you get sick after this, I'm sorry. We tried <laughs> to give you a good one. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But how was Christmas? It was good. We had some great times. Mm, did you get to see a lot of family? Did you get to see a little bit of family? We didn't really go out. So we did go see my grandma up in uh, Clinton, mm-hmm. which is really good. We got to spend some time with her, some family I don't get to see very often. Got to see how small my son is in comparison to normal children. Yeah, I, I feel that way. <laughs> and then it's probably the same way, like comparing Elliot to other children, like <laughs> see how chunky is compared to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a big kid. Yeah. He's big. He weighs more than my daughter, and she's <laughs> six months older than him. It's crazy. That's how I felt. My uh, my cousin, Knox is his name. He is, I think, six or seven weeks younger, and he is the same height, weighs a few pounds. He's got to weigh a few pounds more. He was chunky. So his first name is Knox, yeah. and then your child's middle name is Knox, right? Yeah, I, and we did not plan that. That just happened. So it was pretty funny when we announced... Um, that we were pregnant, and she put the name Declan Knox. They hadn't actually announced they were pregnant yet. I'm pretty sure, and so they announced to us in Messenger. She was like, "Hey, don't tell anybody, but you know, I think we're pregnant, and we're looking at Knox for our name." And it was like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> that's really odd because that's not a name like you hear hardly at no, all." I don't know how. Like we just managed that, but. And I really, I, I pushed for Crystal. I was like, I think we should name him Knox. I think it should be his first name. And she's like, no, I don't think we should do that. End up being a great thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That would be really confusing. Yeah. 
But how was your Christmas? How, how was your guys' family? Uh, my Christmas was a lot of traveling back and forth, but I mean, that's how it is sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's tiring, but it's good to get to see family who Christmas is one of the only few times where I do get to see all of them because they live all over the east side of the United States. <laughs> how far were they coming from? So one of them lives in Pennsylvania. One of them lives in Connecticut, Massachusetts area. Alabama. The other one's Iowa, I believe, but which isn't that far, but yeah. I mean, it's still a good distance. It's still a travel for the whole. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I gripe. I, I drove an hour and a half. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> they all have to fly or drive. Yeah. It's definitely fun to get to see my dad's side of the family. And then I have an uncle who comes up from Mississippi on my mom's side. Uh, his wife also ended up being sick, unfortunately. Oh, man. But no COVID there either. Promise, guys. So I'm not passing anything around to this. <laughs> I don't think it comes to the microphone. It was more for your sake than the audience's. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, no, everything was really good. Scarlet made out like a bandit, of course. Imagine. This is, I mean, she she's already, this is her second, but this is kind of her first, like. I really understand what's going on. Yeah. And I'm not four months old during this. Yeah. And yeah. like, boom, you know. Did you guys see this much family last year or did you guys kind of pull back no we couldn't they had canceled christmas last year on my dad's side i think or maybe that yeah it was last this last year that they canceled christmas and or canceled getting together and then we didn't get to go see my uncle because i don't think we got to go actually go up on christmas this last time so so you like it was just Chris's side last year, I think, is what we did. Yeah. And then we went up later to see my family. So it was like, this was her first Christmas with your side of the family. Yeah. At first, she was super nervous, wasn't sure what to do about people, and then <laughs> got more comfortable as the night went on. Yeah. Like, the cutest <laughs> thing she does is, like, she'll unwrap a present, yeah. and then she'll crumble up the wrapping paper <laughs> all nice and clean yeah. and hand it to you <laughs> to throw away. <laughs> That's cute. Just kind of fold it up and be like, here you go. You take mm. a little bit of stuff. Well, it's not just like folding up. Like she'll like. Like crumple it up and yeah, then just like hand it to completely you. completely wrap it up in a ball <laughs> so you can throw it away easily. Uh, it's funny. My kid just tries to eat the whole thing. I'm, I wouldn't doubt that. <laughs> he is a boy after all. He is. He's, he's something. He's but something. yeah. Otherwise, I'm ready for the New Year's. It's weird. It's going to be 2022, but. I'm excited for the things we're going to get to do on the podcast, and yeah. sorry that we have been get, gone so long, but holidays and sickness really put a damper on things. Yeah. It's, well, not a... Sickness puts a damper, but holidays. Yeah. I mean, I had finals. We had, what, Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, then you had finals. Like finals. And, and then, then you were sick. I was sick. And then, and then Kyra was sick. And then Crystal had... Her surgery. surgery. And then... And then Christmas. <laughs> yeah so it was man we yeah yeah there was no way that we were gonna get to this any earlier but i mean it's all in god's timing right yeah and that's true so a good question i've gotten for this series is why lamentation wow that's a big one yeah especially since you didn't come up with this at all so i love (laughs) i'm asking you this well you see i came up with this all by myself um when i was contemplating no (laughs) Well, I was contemplating why my life yeah. is terrible. No, Let's, just kidding. I, I looked at my life now. <laughs> no, I was actually reading a book. I can't even remember the title of it now. 
but it was talking about how as Christians, we don't really understand what lamenting is, or Mm -hmm. we always focus our churches and lives around being so happy and being perfect. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about how during the service, one lady just needed to break down and how they were there after an hour, after listening to her lament, after listening to her prayer and how God had powerfully moved through that. And I think as Christians, we really miss out on those opportunities because we want to look like we we have the perfect life. We want to look like Mm -hmm. we're fulfilling the American dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We we want to put on that, that Christian veneer, the the beautiful veneer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we got from one of the commentaries that we were, we'll tell you here in a second that we were looking through study, but I think it's just important as Christians that, we understand that there are times where it's okay to have mm-hmm. suffering. It is okay to talk about it and to want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we feel ashamed. We feel scared too. Mm-hmm. And as we'll see in Lamentations, that this is something that happens through God disciplining somebody. Mm-hmm. And yet we have to feel okay to talk about it. I think that's such a hard part is we don't know like you mentioned like we're fed all this you know i guess bubble gum and candy canes and sweet stuff and so when you get something bitter you know it seems foreign you need to spit it out we need to not look at it and so we skip over lamentations and i mean really we skip over jeremiah you know we don't like to read a lot of ezekiel because these are hard these can be hard books you know they're not all ephesians yeah, and they're not all glorious presentations of the Messiah coming. No. And so it's really hard to, it's a struggle. I think that's, I mean, when you mentioned coming to Lamentations, you know, the thought had never really crossed my mind. And then when you mentioned it, I was like, well, yeah, you know, I don't really, I haven't really studied Lamentations that much. I think it'd be great. Mm-hmm. And through studying it, you know, I'm glad that you decided to do this because this book is, it makes you question a lot, a lot in your own life, you know, and really challenged me on some certain levels. Yeah, it definitely challenges how you react to God. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And it it definitely is pushing us out of our normal study zones to go into something that's hardly talked about in church or study in church. Yeah. Now, granted, sometimes it seems like there's not a whole lot of theological gain in this. I mean, it's small. Mm -hmm. It's most of the chapters are only 22 verses, Mm -hmm. but they're important 22 verses because it's how Israel and Jeremiah responded to God Mm -hmm. while he was disciplining them. Yeah. And so, I mean, starting, I mean, you mentioned the author Mm -hmm. of Lamentations, uh, Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, and I, think i mean that's why in our english translations we place it where it is which is after jeremiah right one of the interesting things when i was studying on this was in our english translations we place it after jeremiah but the hebrew chronology of the book is actually placed song of songs ruth ecclesiastes and esther Mm -hmm. it's called the megaloth and it's the five books of rituals yeah, because I think at one point in time, this is actually read 
mm-hmm. all the way through for them to remember. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that we'll actually see Lamentations is known as a book of poetry. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's crazy to think that the Bible has so many different genres in it, but that poetry even makes it into it sometimes. It's such a beautiful... I definitely did not appreciate Lamentations. And I'll be the first one to admit, I did not appreciate Lamentations, and especially the poetry of Lamentations until really studying it. I mean, the poetry is beautiful in this book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you mentioned this is read, you know, this was read aloud through all the way through at a festival. You know, that's how important this was. This was a one of those books that the congregation got together and they read through. And I think that's why it's so small, really. It's, it gets to the point quick. And it can be read through in one sitting very easily. And it draws a lot of attention. And if in the Jewish culture they read this in festivals, how important do you think it was to them? And obviously it was very important because it looked at how they dealt mm-hmm. with their reaction to God. But yeah. it also reminded them that it was their fault of why the discipline had happened because it was based on their sin and God had foretold them multiple times over and over again Mm -hmm. up to that point of before the Babylonians had come in that follow me. You need to obey me Mm -hmm. or else this will happen. Yeah. And you see to me, one of the interesting things about limitations is it isn't most of our historical, I guess most of the books we read Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's like they're on the outside looking in, you know. Mm-hmm. They're giving you a chronology of these events. Lamentations is in. I mean, you you can feel the pain. I mean, Jeremiah, the author, is in this struggle. He's he's in this historical event. You can feel his pain in this. Right, and which is one of the reasons why they say we say that Jeremiah is the author is because of how graphic Lamentations is it had to be somebody who was experiencing the ruin of Jerusalem from the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. It's not somebody who could have wrote it later on or prophetically looked back. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's possible, but it's, it's more likely that it was somebody who experienced yeah. it firsthand. Yeah. I think my commentary brought up a, a good point that it's just the word biblical commentary by Dwayne Garrett and Paul R. House. And he brought up different arguments and he didn't actually you know he didn't come out and tell you who you should think the author is but he gave you pedigrees you know who's held this view and who's held this view and to say the jeremiah authorship why that might not be popular today um in most biblical circles it held a really good pedigree i mean dare i say you know john calvin and most of throughout history really right up to the 1800s whenever textual criticism and things started coming around like that this was this was the popular view right and i think even in hebrew literature they they still held that jeremiah was the author and i I think that carries a lot of weight with it you know because there is such close textual ties between jeremiah and lamentations um to sweep those under the rug because you know you want to put it in the future well you know lamentations never makes the claim that it was written or or that Jeremiah was writing it before the destruction, Mm -hmm. during the destruction or after the destruction. Right. He doesn't say that. 
it's just getting that raw emotion out of there and giving us a chance to see how to react to God, how to question God, how to give our agony to God. Mm -hmm. That's a good way. Yeah. And sometimes, I know I kind of want to get to this later, but I think it's appropriate that we get to it now is like, how often do we think of poetry in the Bible or think of poetry in our own lives? How do we use tools like poetry or journaling or just anything in general to help us communicate with God better? I don't enough. I yeah. remember, I think you asked me the question, what was that, like two or three weeks ago, you asked me about what my favorite poem was. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of not thinking of poetry really at all. Yeah. I know growing up in sixth grade was around the first time that I was introduced and we, we had these little books that we could write our own kind of poems in or copy poems. I think Robert Frost, Night in Snowy Woods, I think is what it's called, was the first one that I was really introduced to. I remember that poem. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Robert Frost is one of my favorite poets. Of course, there's others like Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. And yeah, those are the only two that can You know, that's a good point, though. You bring out Edgar Allan Poe, and most of his poetry is very dark. Right. It's very, very gloomy, and the the point of his poetry is to draw the attention, um, but he does it through these vivid, you know, stories through poetry. Mm -hmm. And that really fits with Lamentations. I mean, it really does. With what Jeremiah is doing, he, he's drawing, he's painting a picture and he's drawing you in with poetry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's such a good thing that poetry does. Even writing short stories, regular books. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all good ways that we can use writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you even want to, there's times where you can make pictures, draw art. And I know that this is going to a select amount of people because everybody's like, I'm not creative. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. But we just want to point out that there's avenues to go through avenues that are scripturally shown to help in your walk, in our relationships with God, that Mm -hmm. God has given us gifts to use to get closer to him. Mm -hmm. Whether that be through art, whether that be through sports, whether that be through interactions i mean god has given us ways to concentrate to focus and meditate on him Mm -hmm. and we need to be more aware of those and we need to use them you know the the confession says the chief end of man you know is to to glorify god and enjoy him right and all our talents are to glorify god and enjoy him like you said wouldn't that be in sports poetry art installing irrigation systems right (laughs) i mean people are looking probably looking at us weird for saying sports and irrigation systems but i mean those are can be times where you're by yourselves and gives you time to meditate and think and concentrate Mm -hmm. on things that you have spoken of or looked at earlier Mm -hmm. and now when i say meditate people might think a little crazy but it's not anything of where i'm I'm empty in my mind of all thoughts, so I can no. be a one with nature. You're actually filling your mind with thoughts, you know, in a sense. You're filling them with God's you're, word. 
Yeah, you're filling them with things of God, thinking mm-hmm. of God, focusing on God. Mm-hmm. Not so that you can get a benefit out of it, but that's so you can have an intimate relationship with him. Yeah, that's what I love about my job. And my buddy I work with would agree with me too. The great thing is I'm an irrigation technician. And so we tend to work by ourselves quite a bit. The amount of sermons and Bible material that I can soak in in a day, you know, is a blessing. I can sit there and listen for almost four or five hours easily a day on Scripture. And so I really get that chance to meditate on God's Word. And, you know, it's shame on me. I have not actually meditated on Lamentations prior to us coming to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, you study a lot of other things, but how to, um, I've heard the term put, suffer well. Maybe not even suffer well, but suffer in general is foreign. It's so foreign to us. Yeah, because we're so blessed to be in the land that we are. Mm-hmm. And that God has placed us here and given us that ability to. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, so you already talked about one of the commentaries that you were using. Um, I'm using F.B. Huey Jr.'s commentary, the New American Commentary set. And then I'm using Christ-Centered Exposition, Exalting Jesus and Jeremiah and Lamentations by Steve Smith as well. I think one of the the struggles coming into my personal life and, and well, my personal studies of this is in seminary, maybe you're given the tools to dissect passages, but when you come to a form of poetry, it's really hard to dissect it. Yeah, because most people will tell you like it's based on how you interpret it mm-hmm. or what you feel like the passage is telling yeah talking to you about yeah so it's like subjective but but this form of poetry you know you've got to put yourselves in this person's shoes and jeremiah the writer here is correct me if i'm wrong but it's five around 586 bc is when temple is destroyed and they're carried they're being carried away into captivity Around 587, you're right. Okay, this is like 586, 587-ish. Mm-hmm. So being carried away, this is a nation that was blessed. I mean, this is shortly after, I think this is, this is only a few hundred years after David. Yeah, let's really look at the Old Testament. I mean, the way Steve Smith breaks it down makes sense is that there's two important periods in the Old Testament here, or series, is that there's the... Exodus in Egypt, and then there's the exile into the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Why mm. couldn't I think of that? In a <laughs> but you see how God walks them through the Exodus, how God holds to his promises to the fathers to bring mm. them to the land of Canaan, and he fulfills that through mm. Joshua, leading them in. So they conquer the land, and you see as time goes on that they fall further and further from God, looking through Judges, going mm-hmm. into First and Second Kings, and First and Second Samuel. First and Second Samuel's, yeah, David. Yeah. David okay. and Saul. And- yeah, that's what I, I was just making sure I had the right book names there for a second. But you get into that time period mm-hmm. of books, and you see how Israel 
gets their monarch that they won, their king. Mm-hmm. And God, of course, had said back with Joshua that, yeah, they're going to want a king someday, but it's going to be somebody I choose. Mm-hmm. And so God first gives them somebody that they want, then they get David, and David's a better king, mm-hmm. but he's not the perfect king, and he makes his mess up with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you think about it, through Bathsheba also comes Solomon. Mm-hmm. And Solomon's the next king. He's the one who builds the temple. But after Solomon is also when things go wrong. It's like and that's the, son, the apex. You have the apex, yeah. you know, David, and then Solomon's falling down a little bit more, and then it's just... Yeah, it falls down real fast after his son, who, after he makes a mistake, completely divides Israel into 10 tribes versus Judah. <laughs> it's a fair fight. Yeah. Seems like it. I mean, nothing important was supposed to come from Judah or anything. Never. For those of you who don't understand, Jesus was supposed to come through Judah's line and the Messiah. Judah was the, um, yeah, that was the Masonic, Masonic, Messianic line. line. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Just wanted to clarify that for you guys, just in case that one would go over your heads, because we try to make this as simple as possible. But, so, the Assyrians take over the ten northern tribes of Israel, and then judah and i can't think of the other one that was with it because i think there was another tribe that went with them instead but we'll think of it later on Mm -hmm. another episode probably and they get taken by the babylonians because judah's a little more faithful than the other than the other 10 tribes but they kind of also fall away in the end and so God punished them, and he brings and uses the Assyrians and the Babylonians to conquer both of them and to bring those people into exile to disperse them as the first dispersion, technically. And so this brings you up to the point of where we are in Lamentations, where Jeremiah, who is a prophet at this time and has been warning the people of Israel that this is going to happen and the kings and they run to Egypt instead of running to God mm-hmm. and of course the Babylonians and Assyrians destroy Egypt Egypt does not help them at all no so it's crazy to think that we miss this sometimes we understand the general theory but these smaller books and the minor prophets we don't really look at during no. this time period and it's crucial because this is the point that's leading up to jesus yeah and it's such an important part because you see in the minor prophets i mean lamentations you, you see the sin some of the minor prophets you see the, the sin come to fruition you see the warning of the sin and the effects of the sin that they're committing and this call to come back and this call of judgment and this call of victory sprinkled in here and there mm-hmm. um, solely based on God's promises, not upon anything that Israel would do. So, you know, through all of these books that are so small that we look over, sometimes come the biggest truths 
I mean, these are so valuable, essential books. You know, I think of small books like Jonah and how important Jonah is. I know Jonah is probably the one that gets the most attention, but it's a really important book. I mean, most everyone's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, the fish. But it's really important to know the sovereignty of God in Jonah. Yeah, absolutely. And then even how Jonah follows through, but he doesn't want God to work in the yeah. people of Nineveh. And yet yeah. God still does and, and brings them to repentance. And then you go to you go to Amos and you see that in Amos God calls prophets that you know, Amos the famous line, you know, I'm neither neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Um he he was a nobody. He was a shepherd. And God called him and said, You're gonna go to the other half of the nation that doesn't like you, and you're going to preach to them that they're going to be destroyed. And, you know, it's faithfulness at the same time. Right. And uh, so you, you, it, there's, they're hard books to read sometimes because of, well, you know, the, the bitterness. But um, sometimes it's our medicine that we need to take. Right. Sometimes medicine is definitely bitter going mm-hmm. down. It can't always be... A spoonful of sugar. No, it all can't be Motrin, you know, the orange-flavored stuff. No, I was thinking more Mary Poppins, but that works, oh. too. I mean, I guess that's fitting, too. <laughs> right. But, so, yeah, we're definitely excited to get into this. Let's just go ahead and do chapter one. I mean, we got okay. a little bit of time left. So, Lamentations, chapter one. Can I... Um... Oh, you know what? We've really missed one of the important parts of Lamentations that we haven't really talked about yet. Oh, what's that? That it's an acrostic poem. That's it. I was I was going to try to get to that. <laughs> I was wanting to get to say. So this fascinated me. And I think it's our English translation. Um in the Hebrew they say it's much I haven't grabbed my Hebrew Old Testament to actually look at it, you know, I guess shame on me. But it's really interesting because in the Hebrew it's so clear, I guess, the meter that the acrostic of this. Right. And the first four books are all acrostic poems. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind that these poems could stand by themselves. They don't rely upon one another. Mm-mm. And they are independent of each other. And I think the important thing, the beauty of Lamentations. I mean, I I stood in awe of just how this was crafted. Because you have chapter one, which is really tight. Chapter one and two are very similar and they're very tight in their acrostic form, in their meter, which is, you know, the tempo most of everything's very similar slight difference and then chapter three is like a super acrostic like it's super everything has meaning and then chapter four comes about and it's a little looser and then chapter five which really almost doesn't have any acrostic in it it's kind of random i mean it's not but but it is and if you follow through the book I mean, if you're outside looking in, but if you follow through the whole book, what's right. going on? Right. There's kind of like, it kind of comes to a climax or apex at one point and then yeah. goes kind of down. You have chapter one and two building to chapter three and chapter three gives you the high point and then four is a little more disorganized and then five is chaos. Mm-hmm. And the chaos is where it ends, which doesn't make us happy. It's like that cliffhanger, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, I can imagine like, this is Jerusalem, and they remember the things of how good things were under Solomon mm-hmm. and how beautiful things were. And 
when you look at chapter one, it kind of really explains this better. But then to where they are now, just seeing people eat each other in the streets, how mm-hmm. there's barely enough food and water to go around, and how your princes aren't even standing up for you, but are running away to a different country mm-hmm. to leave you helpless. Mm-hmm. That's crazy to think about. But I mean, it's a reality that goes throughout much of the world. Yeah. Those that are, well, I mean, there's so many things you can draw from that, but it is, yeah. It just shows you how much we shouldn't rely on men, but should rely on God, for mm-hmm. sure. God definitely uses people to help each other out, but God is the ultimate source and where we need to place our hope and faith in. Yeah, and that is the, you know, I don't want to jump ahead, but that is the point of Lamentations. I mean, really, I mean, at the apex. Yeah, in chapter three. In chapter three, it's it's kind of where it, it points and it says, essentially, that that's exactly where, what you said. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to rest in the Lord and find security in him. And then it goes right back to, you know, the lament. And sometimes in our pain and struggling and strife, and we as Christians are so bad about putting on that Christian veneer, and we don't want to talk about depression. We don't want to talk about you know, God forbid the baby that just died or, or anything like that. We don't want to talk about those things because those are horrible things. And if we just ignore them, but sometimes it's good. We, well, it's not sometimes it's good. Sometimes we have to deal with those emotions. We need to. We I need mean, to. Yeah. It's good in the fact that we need to be able to comfortably share with one another what's mm-hmm. going on in our lives. Yeah. Whether it be something good or whether it be something agonizingly terrible. Yeah. Because we're, called to do that mm-hmm. i mean we're called to be there for one another to pray for one another to really be there for them in sin and suffering mm-hmm. and we're called to help bear one another's burdens yeah. for sure and we have to remember that suffering isn't you know standing in and you know at the kiosk to return your red box movie or something like that that's not suffering suffering you know true pain true intense suffering we're not talking about first world problems here no we're talking about not having enough food to eat you know we're right talking about watching your loved ones die type stuff right stuff that that hurts to talk about but the important thing is is if we glaze over those things we act as if god hasn't spoken on those or we act as if god somehow wasn't in that situation or god you know, turned his head there and was like, oh, I'm just ignoring that. But in reality, even in our suffering, God is still sovereign and he's still there. And I mean, we should rest in the fact that God is with us in our suffering. And just because our sins and everything else, our fallen nature might affect us, we should still rest in God and, and, and find that security there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's start with Lamentations chapter 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who is once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. 
Judah has gone into exile under affliction, and under harsh servitude she dwells among the nations. But she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feast. All her gates are desolate, her priests are groaning, her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before that adversary. All her majesty has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princes have become like deer, they have found no pasture, and they have fled without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers all her precious things that were from the days of old when her people fell into the hand of the adversary, and no one helped her. The adversary saw her, and they mocked at her ruin. Jerusalem sinned greatly, therefore she has become an unclean thing. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Even she herself groans and turns away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She did not consider her future. Therefore, she has fallen astonishedly. She has no comforter. See, O Lord, my affliction, for the enemy has magnified himself. The adversary has stretched out his hand over all her precious things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary the ones whom you commanded that they should not enter into your congregation. All her people groan seeking bread. They have given their precious things for food to restore their lives themselves. See, O Lord, and look, for I am despised. You can really just see and feel the beginning of this lament. And the, the first thing that stands out to me is the parallelism throughout the verses and the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the reversals coming back and forth. Yeah, I think for me, um, that it's definitely something that stands out, but I'm more of an imagery person, so thinking of all the metaphors mm-hmm. and multiple times and times again, the fact that Israel gets compared to someone who's a widow someone who has scantily clad themselves or yeah. become a prostitute basically. This this unclean skirt right. that, that she has on. You'll see this time and time again of how God compares Israel to somebody who has been unclean, who has been unfaithful and compares that unfaithfulness to someone who's had an affair or to run away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm that just verse one there. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced labor. You know, the, the mighty have fallen. Right. To think about during the time of Solomon, I mean, this is somebody who the Queen of Sheba wanted to come and see mm. and meet in person. Yeah. You're talking about one of the, you know, apex times uh, of yeah, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And that's that's in their past now, right? You know, now they are the forced labor. Their beautiful, intricate temple and buildings are desolate. You know, the beauty has left. Everything's gone. Right. There's nothing left. And we have to remember that this is a place that was where the living spirit of God was supposed to 
dwell. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. they were supposed to protect, that they were supposed to follow and be obedient. And yet you see that people come through there and defile it. Yeah. And take treasures from it back to Babylon. Yeah. You think of this is not just a promise, this is the promise that God had given them that you will have this land and this will be your land and you will live here and you will dwell here and you will have these blessings upon blessings upon blessings. This is supposed to be a land that flows with milk and honey. Yeah. And it's no, there's no milk and honey. You know, it's dried up. Um, it's all bitterness now. Um, they're, they're suffering. And and the finger can't be pointed anywhere but at yourself in this, for them. You know, th- this is what you have done, Israel. This is what you have caused. Right. This is based on your responsibility. Yeah. I mean, and it, she goes from being a princess among the provinces to... Um, Verse 8, Jerusalem sinned greatly, therefore she has become an unclean thing. Sorry, I, I skipped a... Her adversaries saw her. They mocked at her in ruin, or at ruin. So, princess, majesty, glory, all this stuff. Now everyone laughs at you. Right. And it's not just people who are unimportant. I mean, it's people who have been as I'm saying, air quote, lovers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, lovers, yeah. The, the ones who she has, you know, covered the children's ears, prostituted herself to. Right, or given herself to. Given herself I to. Mean, but it's important that we realize that this is pointing to how Israel deals with other nations, how it relied on Egypt to protect mm-hmm. it rather than God in other instances, which... I mean, is how they weren't faithful to even during the time of Joshua. You see that they did not follow God's commandments all the way and they did not kick everybody out. Mm-hmm. How they gave themselves to the idols and things of that land and they continue to. I mean, they even go as far to do what they were told was the reason that the Amorites and all the other people who were living in the land of Canaan, that they were giving their own children up as well. Mm -hmm. Just think of God tells you that's an abomination before you go into the land and then you go and do it anyways. Mm -hmm. And God saw it coming too. (laughs) I mean, he says these people, their hearts are far from me, but yet I'm still going to give them this land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe not in those specific words, but but you can definitely tell at the end of Deuteronomy that, God knows and Moses knows these people are not going to follow what God says Yeah. after he's gone. Yeah. I think that's why he lays out in the law and he says, when you disobey me, this will happen. <laughs> right. Absolutely. He doesn't say if. He's like, when you do it, this is going to be the consequences. You're just going to face all these punishments. But as the church today, going along with all those, I mean, how applicable is it today when we, I mean, you're talking about individuals being themselves and contaminating themselves with the world, well, and, and you know, the foreign nations, is how is that no different than today when we take the church and we open it up to rock stages 
and we bring in all the worldly things, you know, we make it a rock concert, the smoke, the the bells, the throwing, the t-shirt cannons, you, you name it. We're doing all these things, and the truth is our heart is far from the Lord, and it's towards the others, whatever right. else it is. It's more focusing on the rituals rather yeah. than kind of focusing on the one who yeah. the rituals were supposed to be made for. Because Israel didn't quit worshiping God at this moment. I mean, we have this weird thing where we think Israel just dropped everything and like turned away and it's like, oh, I'm just going to start pursuing. They were still going to temple and they were still offering sacrifice and they were still doing all these things. Right. And they were still going through all the motions, but it was just motions. Yeah. The heart wasn't in it. The heart wasn't there. You know, it shows that God, the external is important. Yes. But the internal is more important. More important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like how Jeremiah in this point kind of paints a picture for us of what's going on, of how the scene looks at Jerusalem at the time, mm-hmm. where it talks about all her gates are desolate, her priests are groaning, her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. All her majesty has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princes have become like deer. They have found no pasture, and they have fled without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers all her precious things. That's something we do when struggles come, right? I mean, we think about all the past times, all the good times that we had. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing we think of during death and funerals. We try to remember all the good times we had with somebody to bring them back into our minds mm-hmm. at the good things because thinking of the laments are hard yeah thinking of the suffering is hard and the grief mm-hmm. dealing with what's actually happened you know in its entirety instead of you know dwelling on the past and, and so on and so forth i think it's uh Dwayne garrett here says about um verse uh six about the deer her princes have become like deer that have no pasture. He mentioned he mentioned this. This isn't an exact quote, but it's drawn from him. Uh, how the officials have become like deer, the princes. So princes equal officials. They have become like deer. And these princes, as deer jump from pasture to pasture, these, these princes are starved of all power. There's no power left. They have no power to exercise. There's, there's nothing. They're just jumping. You know, running and running and running. And in Judah's fall, he says, this is a quote from him, Judah's fall is not just a result of political laziness or error, but theological as well. So the their whole fallenness is their incorrect, is their laziness, their adultery, and so on and so forth, but the wrong placing of God in their lives, their them not placing God above all things. Yeah, and I think something important too is I was looking back at verse 9. It says... You want me to read that? Yeah. Her uncleanness was in her skirt. She did not consider her future. Therefore, she has fallen astonishingly. How often do we really take the chance to think about it? I mean, since not something we... When we're about to go sin, we don't want to think about it. The consequences later on. 
sometimes we're guilty and we do, but sin is just something that loves it when we throw caution to the wind and give in to it. Mm. Yeah. Rather than take the time to sit and think, if I do this, what's going to be the results? Yeah. Think of the God's Not Dead movie. Have you seen the first one? Mm -hmm. When he's at the very end, he's sitting there with his mom and, you know, he's all high and mighty and he's got his big suit on and stuff. And he says, she's got dementia. And he says, you know, look at you, you know, you prayed to God your whole life and here you are sitting here. And he says, and I don't have anything, but look at me, I'm driving these big cars and so on and so forth. And she just turns to him in a, at a lucid moment and she says, sin is like a jail cell. It's comfy on the inside and peaceful and we don't want to leave, but one day the door will shut. And that's our sin. You know, we, we come into the jail cell, we're comfy and we don't want to leave. And then our sentence is done and the gate slides and we're stuck and we have to deal with what we've done mm-hmm. now. And we don't ever think about it at the time you know, the, of what we're doing. We should, but we don't. Right. It's easy to not think about the consequences. It's yeah. easy to just be right there in the moment mm-hmm. and enjoy it. And how do we process when it, after we, after you've committed this grievous sin, how do you process it? Do you, do you turn to God and, you know, I guess now we have, we do have the wonderful advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, but um, even though you turn to Christ in repentance, do you sweep your sins under the rug, even though you've been forgiven of your sins? Or do you process them? Do you deal with your sins? Do you lament your sins? Right. I kind of, two books that kind of come to my mind is The Doctrine of Repentance by Thomas Watson or The Morification of mm. Sin by John Owen. Yeah. And I want to read the second one. I haven't had a chance to yet. But Oh, The Mortification of Sin? Yeah, I haven't read oh, it's Mortification good. of Sin yet. But The Doctrine of Repentance is really important because it it gives some clear thoughts of what real repentance is. Hmm. And it's not something that we really... I mean, it's something like lamentation. So we, we hear this word tossed around a lot, but we don't really... I don't think we really clearly understand what it means. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely one I need to go back and read and put on my reading list for next year. Mm-hmm. But we really need to sit down and think, what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to understand our sin? What does it mean to turn away and follow Christ? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Lamentations really points out is that there are these grievous sins of Israel. Mm-hmm. But Israel also, or Jeremiah writing for Israel, understands that they have committed these grievous sins Mm -hmm. and hope and pray for God to come back and redeem them. Mm -hmm. But as you can see, it doesn't happen right then. It happens quite a few Mm -hmm. years later. I want to say Hezekiah, but I might. I have to look at that. I'm not positive. Yeah. Might be right. But God's, yeah, sometimes God doesn't, just because you repent and you turn back from your evil wickedness, sometimes that forgiveness, that calling back to the Lord, uh, the bringing back to your, your correct standing doesn't happen instantaneously. Sometimes it's a process. It's Nehemiah, not Hezekiah. 
Nehemiah. Why did I think? Yeah. I guess we were talking about Hezekiah somewhere else recently, but Nehemiah is the one who supervised. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, we don't see that fruition till then. We don't see everything come into into play, the restoring, and what happens at that restoring? Is it beautiful? Is it, you know, bam, 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 rainbows and unicorns and... I mean, absolutely not. I mean, you see the workers with Nehemiah, they have to have a spear in one hand while they're working on rebuilding a wall with another. And mm. then it takes a few hundred years later before Jesus even comes. I mean, mm-hmm. from the end of Malachi so, you to know, Matthew, there's 400 years there. Yeah. Sometimes our uh, our way into judgment is easier than our fight out of judgment. You know, we we fight a lot harder to get back to where we were. They had to fight the surrounding nations. They had to fight probably amongst each other. They had to fight and break cycles. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in exile and then try to come back to the land and institute things that haven't been instituted in um, a few hundred years, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be at least a couple. Yeah, I think they were I'm trying to remember how long they were in exile. I couldn't tell you. It was a hundred, maybe more. But anyway, an extended period of time, a generation. Right. Generations. So. Yeah. um, It kind of brings me back to the whole, you talk about Romans a lot and how at the time the Jews were kicked out of Rome Mm -hmm. and then they came back and like the church was completely different. Yeah. And. Yeah. We see it in the book of Romans. I mean, we. It's not exactly the same thing, but like there's a whole conflict going on of like what happens now or Mm -hmm. how does this work out or these things weren't the way they were when we left. Yeah. I mean, heck, we get it. If uh, we have a. (laughs) Some of the church leaves for a few months and they come back and, you know, you change the drapes, you know? Yeah. For sure. That can be an issue sometimes. Yeah. You know, whole church splits have been over the drapes. All right, let's go on to and finish out 12 through 22. Verse 12. Is it nothing to all who pass this way? Look and see if there is any pain like my pain, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From high he sent fire into my bones, and it prevailed over them. He has spread a net for my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate. Faint all day long, the yoke of my transgression is bound. By his hand they are knit together. They have come upon my neck. They have made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I am not able to stand. The Lord has rejected all my strong men in the midst. He has called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep, my eyes run down with water, because far from me is a comforter one who restores my soul. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands. There is no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that the ones round about him should be his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his command. Hear now, all people, and behold my pain. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city. 
while they sought food to restore their strength themselves. See, O Lord, for I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword slays, in the house it is like death. They have heard that I groan, there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard my calamity. They are glad that you have done it. Oh, that you would bring the day which you have proclaimed, that you may become like me. Let all the wickedness come before you, and deal with them as you have dealt with me and my transgressions. For my groans are many, and my heart is faint. So in my mind, as I read, I always like to read, and and I like to find those little connections, those little nuggets that kind of pair to pair. Right. And you see basically this repetition, and I think it it fits with the poetry of verse 6, where you have the deer. Their princes are like deer that have no pasture. Right. And you have that almost recited again in verse 19. I called my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they sought food to restore their strengths themselves. So they sought food to restore their strength. They they found none. See, O Lord, I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. Because her princes, the ones that are supposed to be looking over her, have left her. And not only that, the ones that are supposed to have the guidance, I mean, the ones that have guidance left her, and all her lovers have turned aside. And so, as you mentioned before, now she's desolate. There's no one to stand beside her. Right. And I think it's a good thing that they ultimately know is because, like we said, the whole reason is because God sent them, or God had done this to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly says here in verse 12, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones, and it, it prevailed over them. He has spread a net from my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate, faint all day long. The yoke of my transgressions is bound. By his hand they are knit together. They have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I am not able to stand. This isn't the first time that God does something like this. Mm. You see, as Israel at first didn't want to go into the promised land, mm-hmm. the spies gave a bad thing, and then they try to be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean it. Let's go try to take it anyways." Because mm-hmm. God said, and what has happened? They get routed mm-hmm. because God gives them into the enemy's hands. And you see this happen a couple other times throughout history in the Old Testament, but we often forget how important it is to rely on God and how much he wanted the people of Israel to rely on. Mm. He wanted to be their king. He wanted to be the most important thing in their life. Mm. I think that one thing we could take away from this that's really important is that this tension that we sometimes have between God maybe causing things in one sense and our responsibility. And we can see in this book, they are responsible for their sins they've committed. They have committed every one of their sins. They're, you know, reveling in this. Multiple lovers, they have forsaken God, but at the same time they have forsaken God, God is causing this calamity that has come upon them. Right. It's his hand of discipline. Yeah. And 
he doesn't always take away the consequences of the sins that we commit. Yeah. And they're responsible, but yet he cause, he's causing their discipline. Right. The punishment is their sin, yet it's inflicted by God. Right. And the interesting thing, too, is what God is using for punishment in this mm-hmm. sense. It's not like he's using a super righteous nation or no. anything like that. He's using two of the most wicked nations at the time. Yeah, they're not very good. And you can see that, that the, the lamenter, Jeremiah here, he ends this chapter kind of summarizing that. You have proclaimed that they may become like me, you know, the ones that are bringing this calamity, you know. You will bring them like, make them like me. Let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me. Right. It's kind of, I guess, like reversing the positions of what Israel was in at the beginning. Because God was using his people, Israel, to be the punishers of the peoples of the land of Canaan for Mm -hmm. their abominations and for what they've done. Mm -hmm. And yet Israel didn't learn from that. And so now he is giving them the same taste of the medicine that he'd used to give give them. To exact on on them. Right. You know, the tables have turned and now you're getting it. And the only praise that you can, you know, Lamenter can muster up here is strike them down as you have struck me. Right. Because they're no better than I am. Mm -hmm. What's interesting here is in this lament, you don't hear why God, you know, you don't hear why God, why me, boo me, pity me. You don't hear, Lord, this is wrong. You shouldn't do this. Instead, you hear much of the opposite. Lord, we deserve this. This is what we deserve. All this is terrible. All this is shameful. You know, you have brought us down, but Lord, make them like us. Mm -hmm. when we lament our sin, we should, maybe we find it hard to rejoice in our punishments, in our retributions from our consequences, but we should at the same time not blame God for things that we have caused, especially when that said thing is something that he's commanded us not to do. Right, absolutely. And don't get me wrong, there are definitely times where you can question why God. Yeah. There are natural calamities and things that happen that don't make any sense right now. Yeah. But there are definitely times where we ask why God, and we know exactly why. Yeah. And in those times, we lament biblically, where you you cry out with your soul, you pour out the pain and the suffering, and what you truly feel, but at the same time, understand what you have done. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I think this chapter really kind of opens up the state of what's going on mm-hmm. in Israel, and, or I guess in Jerusalem, technically. Yeah. And I think it really just points our eyes towards a better idea. Mm-hmm. Of, not a better idea, but it really paints a clear and vivid picture of what's happening. Yeah, I think this really puts it puts it into... Did I read that Lamentations quote? You hadn't yet. Okay. As uh, Dwayne Garrett here says, uh, Lamentations stands as the head of a group of books dedicated to exploring matters crucial to living for the Lord under difficult, sometimes excruciating circumstances. 
and uh, that aspect of living for the Lord and living for the Lord even in our suffering. You know, we we tend to, especially in American Christianity, separate those two. Living for the Lord and suffering are two different things in reality. Living for the Lord encompasses every aspect of your life. Right. I mean, we don't, we don't want to say that to live for the Lord mm-hmm. means suffering. We want to picture it as the best thing possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like that Christian veneer, like you were saying. Like we don't want to, we want to picture it as like a television series, as mm. Steve Smith puts it. Uh, that everything looks perfect on film. That doesn't talk about all the hours of editing. Mm. Not like a podcast. <laughs> Logan, <laughs> he really feels for this. <laughs> it's not that bad. I, I enjoy it, but it doesn't show all the hard, weary things. I mean, it mm-hmm. shows snippets of it and leaves things to the imagination, mm. but it doesn't can't go into the full detail, or else you would be there forever watching a video. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine with the Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's four hours versus two, I think. Yeah, been told, yeah. It's, I mean, it's really good. You but. mentioned in TV shows, I just think of like the Andy Griffith show where everything's like, you know, all hunky-dory and, oh, look, there's a tiny problem that's normally, you know, it's not actually that big it's of a problem. It's not that big of a deal, yeah. And everyone's like, oh, man, oh, shucks, you know. Dun, dun, and then everything's better at the end and everyone's laughing and that's... right. That's that's how we picture Christianity. And that's not how how it is at all. Yeah. I mean, we talk about things and struggle with things all the time. We live in a fallen world and we're fallen individuals and things hurt, things suck. And we mess things up. And we mess things up pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty good. But God still works. God is still sovereign and God still plans for things to go forth. Yeah, and I think we can rest in that, in our despair, um, even in our dark trenches and and terrible things through the most difficult, horrendous thing that has ever happened in this entire world and and never hit in all of history became one of the most beautiful, not one of the most beautiful, the most beautiful thing that has ever occurred. Absolutely, I mean. That's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's amazing how God turned evil intentions and made them good mm-hmm. or turned them to good. I mean, what we see here, I mean, it's kind of like the ultimate redemption of what's foreshadowed in Joseph. Yeah. I mean, his brothers sold him to slavery. Yeah. By doing that, they saved the world. Mm-hmm. By what or you the, meant for their evil. their known world. Yeah. Yeah. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Right. And if he hadn't, went through those terrible things he wouldn't have been there for other people or for his people and right. sometimes god drags us through those terrible things so that we can be there for i mean other people that isn't saying that's necessarily what if you're struggling with something or you're going through something maybe that's maybe that's why god is putting this test in your life maybe it's not but the most important thing is to rest in god absolutely and focus on him and focus on him and don't abandon him yeah, don't abandon him. I know it's cliche-ish, but I think it's a good thing is when Peter stepped out of the boat and he fixed his eyes on Christ, what was he able to do? 
you know, he was able to accomplish what Christ wanted him to accomplish. And when he looked away, he drowned and took the hand of God to raise him up. Right. And we're very much the same. Uh, when we take our eyes off God, we fall and drowned and the hand of God is what we need to be seeking for. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, thanks again for listening this week. Remember we're on most of the major podcasting websites mm-hmm. and apps now. Sorry. It's been so long since the last episode. But we just want to thank you for listening and keeping track of us. Um, it's been such an awesome blessing to get mm-hmm. to talk to you guys, to do this for you. And I pray that it gives you encouragement, but at the same time helps you to go through those times of suffering, if that's what you're in right now so. or in seasons a little met. Because this is all a part of what we do to be conformed to the image of God. Mm-hmm. It's not just the happy-go-lucky moments. It's part of suffering, too. Because... Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus calls us to carry our own crosses and follow him. Mm-hmm. And he says that if they reject the master, then what do you think they're going to do to you? Mm-hmm. I can't remember who I read. This is shame on me for not crediting him for this because it was good. They said that um, how amazing it is that we worship God and trust in God and pray and go through all the actions when we're in a season of great prosperity. But when we have those seasons of doubt, when we have those seasons of struggle, when we're in the bottom of the pit and we're struggling and we don't want to pray and we don't want to seek for God, we want to blame him. We want to blame him. How much more is it a testament to our love to God when we actually do seek him then? Right. In our bottom of despair that we actually reach up, you know, it's always, it's easy in a marriage to always say, I love you and nothing's wrong when everything's cushy. Which, what's hard is after you've had a fight and you want to say something, you know, hateful to them, instead of turn to them and say, I love you and I'm going to reconcile this. Right. Absolutely. You're right. To go through a time of where we go through a Job moment. Yeah. I mean, not that we will have the same thing that Job did, but to where we go to that deep depression Mm -hmm. or have seems like the whole world is against you mm-hmm. but to still to praise god by the end of it and not fall mm-hmm. away i mean that's that's yeah. incredible and know that when if you're suffering to those things don't think that there's something wrong with you you know it, it, just because you're suffering from this depression or this this bout or this anguish or this lament or, or whatever it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you in particular it just means you need to draw nearer to him right and if there is something wrong he'll reveal it to you Mm -hmm. at some point in time yeah absolutely i mean it's definitely a point where you ask god to search your heart and show you your sin Mm -hmm. if there is some i mean there are times where things happen for Mm -hmm. no reason but there are times where it's definitely by something you caused Mm -hmm. but we got to remember those instances that God's there no matter what. That's an amazing thing. Absolutely. My name's Logan, and thanks for watching or listening to us today. <laughs> and my name's Colton Wright, and God bless.